Good morning. My name is Rick, not John Schubert. I'm pinch hitting for John uh, this morning as he's not feeling well. I don't think he's probably the only one I've heard. Um, we can pray for he and his wife as they recover. Um, I thought about um, on Thursday when I found out I was preaching, I, I thought about just saying, well, let's just do a recap and a summary of Colossians, and then I could have you all email him and say what a good study it was and what are we doing next. It would save us all two years <laughs> of time. No, I'm just kidding. We want, we want Colossians. So we're not doing Colossians today. Um, this is actually a sermon, uh, a version of a sermon I preached a couple years ago, um, and uh, it was meaningful to me then, and it, uh, it occurred to me that I needed to hear these words again. So they're partially for me and partially for you, that the Lord uh, would have us uh, hear these things together. Let's join together in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time when we can open your word together, uh, be encouraged by it. We pray, Father, that you would renew our hope in you and that uh, our joy may be complete in what you have provided for us through your Son, Jesus. May your Holy Spirit inspire our hearts now to understand and apply these things. Uh, And may the result of these things be um, our hope and our ability to proclaim gladly the hope that we have to a lost dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of this sermon is called True Hope. And the word true is there on purpose uh, because there is true hope and then there is hope that is not true. And we want to compare and contrast those against God's word. As we come to the end of this year, that was 2023, we look back on all that's happened. Think back in your life. Think of all the events that have taken place, the circumstances of your life that have happened. If you had to capture the circumstances of this past year in just a few words, what words might you choose? Perhaps you will have many joyful occasions to look back on and celebrate, things that God did that you were amazed by and glad for, but there may have been circumstances in the past year that might be more aptly described as chaos or disorder, maybe unrest. Certainly in the world we live in, we see things like violence, sorrow, grief. Perhaps even you might use the word hopeless for certain moments of your life this past year. How many of you perhaps have felt the tug of hopelessness in your heart? How many folks do you know or have you interacted with that have lost hope or are losing hope? There could be any number of issues that you could point to that have taken place and wished for some silver lining to appear, some glimmer of light that could flood the darkness of that moment, some sign that things are going to get better. Our world and even we are clamoring for hope. Everywhere we turn, we see the destructive path of sin and brokenness. 2023 has been quite a year. Recently, a friend was going through some intense struggles, and I sent him a note trying to encourage him, and I figured that I didn't have any magical words that would change their circumstance, no formula to offer that would alleviate his suffering. So I turned to the only source of foundational encouragement that I know of, which is the Bible. 
And the verse that I shared with him was Romans 15, 13, which will be our benediction this morning. And it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We say that we have hope as Christians, but what is hope? What is true hope? How does the world define hope? How are they different? Well, according to Webster's Dictionary, the definition of hope is one, a noun, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Or it could be used as a verb to indicate to want something to happen or to be the case. See, both of those things express an expectation or a desire or a want for something to be the case that perhaps isn't the case in that moment. And this definition fits nicely with how the world thinks of hope. In the middle of a difficult circumstance, we have an intense desire or sense, however vague that might be, that things will turn out better. Not really based on concrete evidence that things will get better, but more on wishful thinking, we might say. An idea that things won't be bad forever, but at some point will certainly turn around. Have you ever felt that way? I recall a quote from a French citizen in a book I read on World War II, and upon hearing the Allies were coming, exclaimed, hope is coming, I now have hope. They were wanting their circumstance to change, and they were holding out some hope, some desire that that would be the case. In such times as we are living, maybe more than ever in our lifetimes, we need to know and experience true hope and not just wishful thinking. But how is this possible? What does the Bible have to say about hope? Surely, in one sermon, we will not be able to exhaust all there is to learn about true hope, but perhaps we can gain a good overview that will cause us to remember the unshakable hope that we can have. And really, that is my, my goal this morning, is to saturate our hearts and our minds in what God's word says, in the foundation of true hope. Because it doesn't matter what I have to say. It doesn't matter what a psychology book has to say about where to find hope. What really matters is what God has to say about where lasting hope comes from. So what is a biblical understanding of hope? Here's the working definition that I'm going to use this morning. Hope is the confident expectation, the sure certainty that what God has promised in the Bible is true and has occurred or will occur in accordance with God's faithfulness. Let me read that again. Hope is the confident expectation, the sure certainty of what God has promised in the Bible is true and has occurred or will occur in accordance with God's faithfulness. The word hope is used in the Bible approximately 164 times. It is a common theme in both the Old and the New Testament. So this morning we're going to take a brief survey through the Old and New Testaments and follow this theme of hope. In the Old Testament there are two primary Hebrew words which are used to, that are translated generally in our language as hope. Or many times you might see the same term translated 
to wait, to wait upon the Lord. is the same idea. The first is the word yechal, which means to wait for or to eagerly anticipate. The secondly is kava, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I may be pronouncing those wrong, but I, if you just clear your throat, it sounds good. <laughs> but that word comes from the root word, which means a tightly pulled cord as a rope or a string. The idea is that a person is bound securely together with another or to the idea of something, tied together, as it were, tightly with a strong cord. This word is used to describe a hopeful person as bound securely to the fulfillment of God's promises. Now just picture that in your mind just for a moment. There's a promise of God for you, for us, in the scriptures. And the idea of hope is that you are bound securely to it. Can't be removed from it. That's the idea. The, and it isn't the idea of something like it's this rope that's tied around this promise of God and I'm holding dearly onto the other end of the rope. That's not the idea. The truth of God's promise is bound and I am bound to that truth by God's gracious hand. It can't be taken from his people. That in itself is good news to me. God's people throughout the Old Testament are seen as a waiting people, as a hoping people. But what, or rather to whom, were they waiting in hope for? What immovable truth were they tethered to as with a rope? Well, I'm going to take you on a brief survey here. I've listed the scripture references in your bulletin. I haven't printed them all there for you. Um, but you can just listen along and go back and read these things and remind yourselves of the hope that is ours in God. Psalm 33:18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Psalm 33:22. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Psalm 39:7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Psalm 42.5 and Psalm 43.5 are an identical quote that says the following. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? And why are, you turmoil, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 62.5, for God alone... O oh, my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. I will wait for the Lord, who is, hiding his, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Jeremiah 14, 8. O oh, you, hope of Israel, its Savior in time of trouble. And Jeremiah 17, 13. O oh, Lord, the hope of Israel... All who forsake you shall be put to shame. Notice what each of these passages, each of these verses has in common. What is the object of their faith? The Lord, the God of the universe, is the source of their hope. And in fact, he isn't just the source of their hope. He himself is their hope. As long as God's people have roamed the earth, 
They have longed for and waited for and hoped for the promised salvation and the promised one who would bring that salvation, namely the Messiah. But what was it that fueled their hope for that future salvation? What is it about a promise or a promiser that would elicit such a confident expectation that they called hope? Well, to put simply, the reason that God's people put their hope in him and in his promises are because of the overwhelming evidence that he had been faithful and powerful to accomplish all his promises in the past. In other words, as your bulletin lines out, they had to look back in order to look forward. They were looking for hope in their immediate circumstance. They were looking for hope in the days ahead, even in the midst of the darkness that they lived in. And how did they come about that? They had to go back in their minds and in their hearts and recall what God had done, how he had shown himself faithful to all of his promises. In order to hope for future salvation, they had to look back on God's mighty works and faithful demonstrations of his love for them. Have you ever found that to be true in your life, in your walk with Christ? You're in a dark place, a place that seems hopeless. But in order to find hope, you've had to go back in your mind and recall where God has been faithful in the past. Have you done that? Has that been a practice in your life? It should be, because that's the practice of these people that we read about in the scriptures. The word of God continues, Psalm 130, verses 5 through 8. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. Okay, there's that word wait, translated hope. And in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Psalm 47, 11. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and, who, and those who hope in his steadfast love. Psalm 33:22. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Psalm 78, 1 through 7. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, things that, have, that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, and the wonders he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Here the psalmist is saying something rather profound. He's realizing as he looks back in his life that he had a source of hope in the Lord. God had been faithful to all of his promises. And he says, we will not stumble in proclaiming those good deeds to the next generation. And what was the point of that proclamation? What is the point of that passing down to the next generation those stories? Well, it tells us right here, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. 
we must proclaim, we must remember the works of God in order to have hope going forward. Psalm 71, 14 through 18 continues this theme. But I will hope continuously and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. All right, older people, I'm one of you now. I'm almost 50. I know that's not as old as some, but I feel like I'm, I'm aging, certainly. I have a message for us. Sometimes when uh, we, as we get older, we feel like the, the usefulness of our lives is, is, is sort of spent. And, and maybe it's the younger people that need to take the baton and run. They're the energy st- source. Let me tell you something. We have a job to do. Now, really, all of us have this job. But if we have seen any amount of God's faithfulness in our lives, we must proclaim it to those uh, coming after us. We cannot sit on the sidelines and, and wish that the people coming after us would take up the, the, the mantle of salvation, the message of salvation, and, t- and carry it on into the world. They've got to hear from us what God has done, how he has worked. So have you seen God work in your life? How? What things has he done to prove, to prove his love, his steadfast love, and his mercy to you? If you have any story, and I would, I would guess that each of you, if you've been walking with the Lord for very long, have many stories. You need to proclaim those stories to anyone that would listen. Because we want them to put their hope in God. Because to leave them apart from uh, the hope of God is to leave them hopeless in this world. To grasping at air, grasping at, grasping at straws to save them, and it won't work. Our hope is in God alone. And we need to proclaim that to the next generation. So as we see here, the Old Test in the Old Testament, and this is just a brief sampling, we see that the past buoyed their hope and their expectation that God would come through just as he had promised to them, and he would indeed save them. But now let's transition to the New Testament. What does hope look like there and in our lives as Christ followers? Like the Old Testament saints, we too are waiting for the promised Messiah to return, and this promise fuels that hope. But also like them, we look back as well in order to hope forward. What would we do, uh, but what do we look back to in order that our hope would abound? Well, the first thing we look back to from our perspective is to an advent, to an advent. And here we are the week before our celebration of Christmas and to the advent of Jesus. We look back to the coming of our Savior to the earth, to the arrival and birth of the Son of God. Luke 2, 10 and 11 say, 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah. People, do we need good news of great joy in our time? Do you need good news of great joy? Do your neighbors, co-workers need good news of great joy in this time? Absolutely they do. And it has come in the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Just as we sing in the great Christmas hymn, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. All the hopes and the longings of the Old Testament saints looking forward to the coming Messiah have come to fruition in this child born some 2,000 plus years ago and is alive today. I trust that for you, brothers and sisters, that your celebrations, celebrations of Christmas these days will affirm the hope that you have in the Lord because the Savior indeed has come. So we look to an advent, but we also look back to a cross. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, which I did not put in your bulletin, but you could write it down. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, doing what with it? Nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah. This is the message that Paul proclaimed in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. But we, he said, preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because of the cross of Christ and him nailing our sins to it with him in his own flesh, we who put our faith and trust in him, who are called, both Jews and Greeks, we've received the power of Christ and the wisdom of God. We have a sure hope in him because of the cross. And not only do we look back to the Messiah's birth and advent, not only do we look back to his death on the cross, but we look back also to an empty tomb. To an empty tomb. How does this help us have hope going forward? Well, if anything should build our hope, it is to know that the tomb in which our Savior was placed stands empty today. Amen? Our Lord did not stay dead, but in three days rose again in victory over sin and, and death in order that all who would trust that he died in their place because of their sins could know that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father and that we could have the assurance of eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 and 20. If in Christ we have hope 
In this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 continues, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 1 Timothy 4.10 For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially for those who believe. I want to turn to 1 Peter, another passage I, I didn't put in your outline. But we just heard it read, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we have a living hope, one that we are tethered to as with a rope, that is kept in heaven for us. It can never be taken away. So like all the saints who have gone before we would call them perhaps the church triumphant. They're experiencing the victory of Christ even now. And those who would toil side by side with us now, we would call ourselves the church militant because we're still in the fight. Just like them, we set our hope on our living God and his very precious promises in scripture. We look back to see the unfailing track record of God's faithfulness. Therefore, we have hope going forward. Brothers and sisters, do you, do you sense that you have a message to proclaim in this dark world? If you have hope in Christ that cannot be taken from you, how could we not run into the streets and tell the others that are outside of that hope about that hope that we have? Before we conclude this morning, I do want to contrast biblical hope versus optimism. Is optimism what we're talking about here? Is it different than the biblical hope that we've been talking about? I, have, I generally have a general disposition in my life of being an optimist about things. Um, generally see the bright side see the good in things, see the opportunities in things. Are you an optimistic person? And, and is that what we're talking about here? Being optimistic, being, having, having a sense of, of positive feeling about what could happen? Optimism is choosing to see how a circumstance could possibly end up working out for good. It's sort of the idea of the light at the end of the tunnel or the glass is half, half full mentality. But what does one do when there seems to be no light at the end of a tunnel? Where there seems to be no way of escape? 
where everywhere you turn is fear or pain or struggle or seeming hopelessness? Where's the optimism found in that moment? When there is no optimistic viewpoint, where do we turn? This is why we need a solid understanding of what true hope is and where it comes from. Biblical hope is not focused on or determined by circumstances, but on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that we defined biblical hope as the confident expectation and the sure certainty of what God has promised in the Bible is true, has occurred, or will occur in accordance with God's faithfulness. Have you known people, individuals in your life, brothers and sisters in Christ, who were in a place where there seemed to be no earthly hope? Maybe at the end of their life, suffering from an illness, experiencing great loss, and you have found them to be a hopeful person, not just optimistic, but having a steadfast hope, something different than the norm. Have you experienced that? Have you observed that? That's what true hope looks like. Someone who in the midst of suffering and pain and sorrow can cry out to the living God and say, I trust you, Lord. We need to make an important biblical observation here. As we look at the examples of those who have hoped in the Lord in Scripture, we see that many times their confident expectation and certainty remained even when there was no evidence that things would get any better. And so out of the bottomless pit, hope surged in their hearts. In other words, hope remained even when there wasn't a good reason to have it. An example, Job 19, 25 through 26. Everything ripped from his life, everything that mattered to him, and he said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job had no reason, no earthly reason, to have hope. But he had a heavenly reason, a faithful God. Psalm 39, 7. In the midst of unrelenting turmoil, the psalmist cried out the following. And now, O Lord, for who do I wait? My hope is in you. Romans 4, 17 through 19. Speaking of Abraham, it says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God was making promises to Abraham that were not physically possible. Right? Biologically impossible. Calling into existence things that don't exist. Who can do that? God can do that. Continues in verse 18. In hope, speaking of Abraham, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. 
as he had been told, so your offspring shall be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He considered the promises of God greater than the the hopeless existence of his physical life. And it won the day. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-10 For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Pause. This is the Apostle Paul speaking of his suffering for the sake of Christ. And he said, things got so bad that I just wanted to roll over and die. Literally, Paul wanted his life to be taken from him because his suffering was so great for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wasn't feeling optimistic. Do you sense that? He wasn't just holding on to to straws and, and hoping that things might possibly turn out. Hear what he says. In the midst of that moment of of greatest despair, which he calls it. He says, but that, all of that hopelessness, was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril that he will de- and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now note what Paul says there. We set our hope on God who can raise the dead. In other words, if I go on living in this life, it's because God's been gracious to me. And I have hope in that. But even if I were to die in this physical life, God will raise me to life eternal. And I hope in that. Either way, my hope can't be taken from me, even in my darkest circumstance. That's why Paul says in Philippians, to live as Christ Right? I, I get to live for him, and that's hopeful, but to die is gain. I hope in him eternally. Either way, I'm tethered. I'm tethered to the promises of God. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 5, 6, a little bit of a longer passage. The same author, Paul. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I want to pause there just for a moment to to make an observation about Paul's use of words here. Back in the verses I just read in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, he said, For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. Okay? He uses the imagery there in the original language of a millstone being placed upon your chest. Imagine yourself laying on the ground and someone rolling a millstone on your chest, a couple thousand pounds. Would you, in, in any stretch of the imagination, be able to remove that from yourself? to push it off and find relief. 
That's the burden he talked about in chapter 1. A burden of suffocating pain and suffering. But notice what he says here in chapter 4. For this light and momentary affliction, verse 17, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That's the same term Paul uses in chapter 1 to talk about the weight of suffering now has been replaced by a weight of glory that can never be taken away. Continue. As we look to the things that are not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with human hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so we are always of good courage. So this morning, I want you to think of your life today. I want you to be mindful of the circumstances that you face. What hardships are there? And what is your source of hope? Do you even have hope? If you are struggling to find hope, go back in the home movies of your mind and trace how God has been faithful to you. And if you can't recall his faithfulness in your life, ask a brother or sister, perhaps in this room, or someone that's faithful to you that you know in close proximity to you, and ask them to recall God's faithfulness in their lives. Maybe that will spur you on to hopefulness in our faithful Father. And certainly, brothers and sisters, read your Bibles. Dive into the book and see the timeless and scores of examples of God's faithful, promise-keeping ways. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, hope in God. But maybe you're here today and you have not yet personally trusted Christ as your Savior. And as such, you have no true hope either now nor for eternity. But friend, that can change today. Think on Jesus Christ, that the sinless Son of God came to give his life as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sins on the cross. If you would trust in his work on your behalf, he will forgive your sins and will grant you life that's eternal with him. That's the hope of life and death and resurrection of Jesus. O spiritually lost friend, find your eternal hope in Jesus today. I want to finish this morning uh, by quoting a, a great hymn by Isaac Watts written in 1719. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, 
and our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. Before the hills in order stood, or earth received its frame, from everlasting thou art God, to endless years the same. A thousand angels, ages in thy sight are like an evening gone, <coughs> short as the watch that ends the night before the rising sun. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its suns away. They fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guard while life shall last <coughs> and our eternal home. Let's pray. Father, in our dark and hopeless world, help us as your people to know the true hope that is ours because of Jesus, because of your faithful love. We thank you for your promises, Father, that are found throughout your word. We pray that we would dive deeply into them and consider them and meditate upon them. Meditate on your wondrous works and proclaim them to the generations around us and to come that our hope may be in you. And Father, if there are any here this morning that have not placed their hope in you but are, are clinging upon their own strength to, to make it through life, <coughs> help them to see the hopelessness of their situation and turn to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, and find their hope in him and what he has done for them in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Father, cause our hope to be in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.